listening to The Tenderness Revolution, a podcast about the stories of kindness, compassion and empathy that play out in our lives, because these deeply moving experiences describe what it means to be human and invite us into a new way of thinking about the world and each other. I'm your host, writer and journalist Yvonne Gavin. And every episode, I'll be asking a new interviewee about a pivotal moment of tenderness that helped shape the course of their life. Today's conversation is with author Natalie Toon Patton, whose memoir, Wandlost, which is about her journey, an actual physical journey, which begins in her childhood growing up in Arkansas in the deep south of America, in a fundamental Southern Baptist church, how she was the golden girl of her town, the prom queen, the virgin bride, and then a shunned divorcee, and became an outsider as she moved around the world from the Middle East to Europe and Asia. But it's also about a long and winding inward journey, spiritually and emotionally, And it really resonated with me as someone who's also living a loosely nomadic life and is about to move again from Africa to Asia this year. So it was one of those conversations that really highlighted this. I suppose it's a sort of deep truth that our lives are not defined by what happens to us. They're defined by the way that we respond to events and ultimately the lens that we choose to see things through, as hard as this may seem. And one of the things that really struck me, actually, one of the things that I learned from Natalie was this yearning to feel at home in the world, to lean into curiosity, which is the doorway into seeing people and places fully. And her descriptions of the relationships that she formed in surprising circumstances, as well as this openness to discovery, to finding parts of herself in the places that she visited, will really inspire you, I hope, to see the world and other people differently. It really was a pleasure to sit down and talk to Natalie about all of these things, and I really hope that you enjoy this episode. So Natalie, thank you so much for being on the Tenderness Revolution today. I'm really looking forward. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to our conversation. And um, I wanted to start off by asking you, as I always do, to share your moment of tenderness with us. So the idea behind the Tenderness Revolution podcast is that essentially our lives are made up of all these little stories stitched together and when we shine a light on scenes where we felt a profound sense of connection to something bigger than ourselves moments where we felt seen or understood or that we had a deeper relationship to the world around us it's as though we're awakened to a greater sense of meaning and purpose so please do share your moment yes thank you i I love this. I love this question, and I, I love listening to the people that you interview and, and their responses. And something I've noticed is that it it seems like it's the moments that really catch us off guard. It's not the ones that you think are going to be the big moments. It's not the mountaintop moments. It's, it's the ordinary um, times that kind of sneak up on us, that bind us, like the thin moments, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, I was thinking about which story I would share, and there's one that I write about in my memoir of visiting Damascus, Syria. And it was on the very last day. Um, I wasn't feeling up for visiting this particular mosque. We had a driver. He was more or less a chaperone <laughs> there to keep us out of trouble, a professional briber who, who got us across the border. and he wanted to take us to the Umayyad Mosque. And so at that point, I had been living in the Middle East for a couple of years, and I had a little bit of mosque fatigue. I wasn't feeling it. Um, But I went anyway, and I was with my cousin and my colleague and one of my best friends, and we were stretched out um, on the marble floor there, um, and we noticed a part of the the mosque that had... um, 
come to find out it contained the head of John the Baptist, which completely blew my mind. Um, growing up Southern Baptist, you know, you, wow. you, you just don't make that connection that Islam also has the prophet Yahya, which is John the Baptist. And so they had this shrine there that contained the head of John the Baptist. Um, and so we just laid out on these marble floors and the call to prayer came on. And at this point, I had learned that this particular mosque was originally the Temple of Baal in ancient times, and then it was the Temple of Jupiter in Roman times, and then it was a synagogue, and then it was a Christian church, and then it was a mosque. And for 70 years, the same place was shared as a space of worship. For Muslims and Christians, they both used the same place, wow. which you know, in modern times that we think, how is that even possible? And something about that moment and the call to prayer, I was still wrestling with my own faith at the time. And I just felt this undercurrent of mercy for all of the people that were ever in that, that exact place for all of the ways that we plead the favor of God, given our imperfect theology and I just felt mercy. I felt mercy for all of the people, all of the seekers, all of the people that had come there with prayers to different deities over the centuries from ancient times to the present. I just felt, I just felt mercy. I didn't have any, I didn't have to have an answer for every theological question. There was just mercy there and that, that was all. And so for me, the tenderness was about just the mercy that I felt for everyone. Wow, that's so such an incredible story and whilst you were describing it I could almost like hear the call to prayer because it's so distinctive mm-hmm. and and something about sitting on the floor mm-hmm. like kind of connects you I think to like a building or like you could almost feel like the movements of other people and imagine mm-hmm. other bodies having sat there and you know the vibrations of people having walked mm-hmm. there and that's so it's so interesting it's as though you're describing like the connectedness of people right or this right. sense of common humanity that we're all connected and we're all seeking the yes, same thing it was just sort of like a timeless moment and mm. there were there were children running around there were little boys in the corner smoking cigarettes you know it was mm. just like the and you can like the vibrance of you can humanity. feel like the vibrations of mm-hmm. like history like mm-hmm. you could f- literally almost right. feel it in your mm-hmm. body um that's just like so profound and i had no idea you know that buildings it's almost like it was designated a holy building mm-hmm. and it had been like repurposed right so there was obviously a sense that this building really had you know it, it mm-hmm. had it felt like people people would want to worship there there was something about mm-hmm. it but it kept being repurposed mm-hmm. I mean that's mm-hmm. that's really quite incredible I love that and it's so um I don't know really ties in with your you know your book which mm-hmm. is essentially about this kind of spiritual quest that you go on in your mm-hmm. life um and yeah there, there's this sense of of curiosity I think that kind of underpins the book um and there's this this is sort of in the beginning you talk about um you tell this story where you you say to your mum that you want to go to this Italian restaurant Mm -hmm. um because you saw it featured in a popular tv show and it seemed it was as though the food you you'd got you know you'd seen this food you wanted to try it but it was like almost like it was a metaphor for something mm-hmm. else like it was a metaphor for this curiosity in Absolutely. you and this mm-hmm. sense of wanting to taste something new because mm-hmm. you describe like the foods of you know the food that you grow up with in the, mm-hmm. in the deep south and it actually sounds really exotic to me <laughs> someone <laughs> from the UK it's like you know this sort of I can almost smell the barbecue and the chicken mm-hmm. and the, the way you describe the gravy and um, but it that for you was like familiarity mm-hmm. and you were looking for something different mm-hmm. and I just wondered like where did this kind of curiosity come from also the way you describe nature as though 
you feel the spiritual the spiritual kind of essence of nature you connect to that and there's all these things in you from a young age that it's just it's there mm-hmm. it's within you um I remember you described the trees near your house as being like your guardians and then I think you described the curiosity as being equal parts live culture and magnetic force which I love that description so where do you think where did it all come from is there any way that you can yeah well I um I talk about my own wonderlust woes from an early age just that that pull to be somewhere else to experience life mm. in another culture in another place and it's just the big what else is out there feeling mm. um I think we all have that curiosity as children and we just forget mm. it just gets stomped out of us mm. which is why I was I was just talking with a friend about this yesterday how she still lives in in my hometown and she <laughs> She mentioned, oh, I, I drove by Gala's costume shop yesterday. And I mentioned this this particular costume shop that, that I had to get this Dolly Parton outfit from. And, oh, yeah. and I was just thinking, oh, I'm so jealous. I wish I could just go back to Saline County for one day. And I, we were talking about, yeah, it's like, that's why the places that we grew up in, we, we remember, we knew that they were sacred. We knew that everything was sacred as a child. And then we just forget. As we get older and we get burdened with the stuff of life, we, we lose that that itch and that sense of wonder and curiosity. And, and so I think, I think it's within all of us as children and it's within all of us to rediscover as we age. It's like it gets covered over mm-hmm. with all these kind of layers and mm-hmm. it's like these, these kind of, there are these kind of weights and these heavy feelings and experiences that we kind of take on and they Mm -hmm. kind of build up and build up but what's actually underneath is our true nature which is this natural curiosity and lightness and Mm -hmm. love and and that sort of makes me think of um your childhood growing up in the southern baptist church and it's so interesting how what you were taught in that church or you know the 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 words that that you were kind of handed through that experience are so opposite to what you're Mm -hmm. describing and when you actually the way you put it in the book it really had an effect on me the way you describe how it made you feel as a child and I actually went for a walk because I had to really process what it must have felt like for you Mm -hmm. so what I'm talking about is when you describe how you know you were taught that what's deepest within you is dark and sinful and that although God loves you more than you can imagine if you don't accept Christ in the right way he'll make sure that you burn in hell I mean it's just so confusing (laughs) it's like how can Mm. those things you know go together like how it's it's contradictory it's heavy it's sad Mm -hmm. it's such a lot to to kind of put on a young child and I you know I grew up in Catholic faith so I you know I know about some of these dark Mm -hmm. the dark shadows in the Christian church but you know there's just so much emphasis isn't there on fear and power yes and consequences and I sort of wonder about two things I firstly I wanted to ask you these churches they you know they sit within the Christian tradition um and although there's so much wisdom embedded in that tradition there's also yeah like shadow and dark and I just wonder is that a really good thing how could you perhaps change all of that or is there a way to change all of that as in I think if you take the tradition and even the Southern Baptist Church as it is today but you question it you know, there needs to be some vigorous sort of open-ended discussion and questioning, and Mm -hmm. that's how you bring about change. And it seems as though there's resistance to that. Like, how, do you think it's possible for that, you know, to happen? Oh, I'm trying to consider how optimistic I'm going to be (laughs) with my answer. Um, From my experience, there is no room for doubt and questioning 
it's a closed system and it makes people uncomfortable to even talk about it. Um, I mean, the moment that I've showed my cards before I wrote the book, before any of this, the moment that I showed my cards to some people that were close to me, I think I might have been put on some prayer lists. <laughs> As in you questioning. That right. was the beginning where right. you were actually voicing those questions, right. saying things out loud that you'd always mm-hmm. thought. Right. And it's not that I have it's not that I have thrown out everything that I was taught. I still do have some good memories of church as a child, as strange as that sounds from the, you know, the things that I criticize. Um, it is the faith that nurtured me early on. And so in a way, I wouldn't have the faith that I have now had I not had that as a child. But I, come to, I came to a point where they say you have to vote with your feet. Mm-hmm. If, if you can't, I mean, the Southern Baptist Church, for example, it's the probably the largest, most powerful denomination in America. It Gosh. has a tremendous amount of political power. Mm. Um, and yet women are still oppressed and not allowed to lead. Um, it's anti-gay. It's, you know, there, there are these, these things that to me are just so big and that I can't, I can't take them on, mm. on my own. Mm. And so the best way is to just leave and, mm. and go to another church or denomination mm. that doesn't have mm. theology that's mm. violent. I mm. see it as violent theology. Yes. And I've, I've seen the harm. I've seen the data. And it's not just me. I mean, there's a whole deconstruction movement. That's kind of become a, kind of a dirty word in, in a lot of circles. Deconstruction, like it's this big, bad thing. When really for a lot of people, it started with just identifying harm that they saw or being harmed themselves from these types of churches and these types of closed systems. So, But that's where the danger lies. Mm-hmm. I mean, that really is dangerous territory, not being allowed to question. That's just like huge alarm bells. Not being allowed to question anything, I think is dangerous territory not being allowed to interrogate not being allowed to challenge Mm -hmm. that's the basis from which like all healthy kind of belief systems and sort of any kind of system or structure comes so and we know this as mothers right like we know from dealing with our children imagine if we never allowed them to ask questions we would squash any curiosity that they had but we know from our mother's heart that we want to give our children the freedom and the the liberty to, to, to question, to ask all the questions, to, to search for themselves. Mm. We have to give them that out mm. of love. Mm. And so I've come to see God as being like that. It's mm. God can handle our big questions. He can mm. handle our He can handle our doubt. I mean what you're describing there is it's so interesting because this thing of not being allowed to question that I think Mm -hmm. is where you have this these kind of heaviness that starts to cover up the curiosity when you're not allowed to question and then things start to harden and that's when you know it's like you lose touch with your true self Mm -hmm. you know that that real core Mm -hmm. sense of who you are and um, I know you describe how, you know, it was almost as though, and I think it's fantastic, you're very aware, very self-aware of this like, pleasing behavior that you were taught, you know, mm-hmm. to be an A student, you know, the virgin bride, the prom queen. And, you know, it, it's as though there's these kind of masks and these kind of, you know, we, we adopt these ways of being because we, we understand that that's the only way that mm-hmm. we can be accepted mm-hmm. you know questioning challenging is not accepted but I wanted to ask you then in relation to that about your children how do you how do you talk to them about spirituality because this is something I'm mm-hmm. really fascinated by I was brought up Catholic and my children don't go to church mm-hmm. and I hear them say things like in our family we don't believe in God (laughs) or we don't have a religion and I'm sometimes struck by oh gosh like yeah I just kind of 
forgot about mm. that because I haven't there's no church here that I feel part uh-huh. of um how how does that work for you what right what do you, how do you teach your children about spirituality sure this is a an ongoing <laughs> question project. <laughs> ongoing project um because my husband and I are really careful not to, we don't want to project our own spiritual trauma and baggage onto our kids mm. because their spiritual journey is their spiritual journey. Mm. Um, so we want to keep alive some traditions that we find valuable. We still do celebrate Advent. We read from the Celtic daily prayer book during Advent um, and Christmas. We still pray together over dinner at night. Um, I still read them Bible stories from the, um, um, the late Reverend Desmond Tutu has a good, um, children of God storybook Bible. Mm. And, and the way that he tells the stories, the, the, the stories from the Bible, it's, it's always with the underlying message that all humans Mm. are children Mm. of God. And Mm. so that's the difference from Mm. what the faith that I was given. Mm. Whereas children of God are only those that have said Mm. a certain prayer rather than all of humanity is children of God. Rather than just those who believe. Right, right. Only the people in this little club and then everybody else, like, be damned. Um, So they still have that foundation, but they also have... um, Oh gosh, that they have deep spiritual questions. I have mm. one who was crying a few nights ago because she was overwhelmed by the concept of heaven and mm. you know what's that supposed to be like. And then for another child, he thought he's decided that you know heaven just sounds kind of boring. You know why why would Jesus just farm me out to another planet? You know that the whole idea of being stuck in one place. You know the kid even the kids know that. Yeah, some of some of these concepts are. Um, almost too simple it's almost like they're too simple for children Mm -hmm. to like don't give me that that doesn't make sense (laughs) (laughs) you can't pull one over on on these kids right this generation is they are not here for the easy answers so I've just kind of let them and give them the freedom to try on different theological hats we Mm -hmm. lived in in Thailand for a season so they know about reincarnation Mm -hmm. and they um have ex- some of them have expressed things about it that they agree with or think that you know may- maybe it's like this mm. um and you but, just and it's and it's that thing of encouraging the questioning and the wondering right, and the right. curiosity that maybe mm-hmm. maybe well and separating always always letting them know this is what our tradition teaches us but there's a, these these other traditions that mm. might see it differently and that, nobody really knows. knows. And I, what matters is love. God is love. And that's mm. that's all you have to know right now. God is love. Definitely. That that thing of being very open about, mm-hmm. we don't really know. So mm-hmm. I wonder, like, I wonder. And it's okay to not know. Mm-hmm. And also, yeah, that thing of tradition. And there's always this kind of, this kind of tension. You know, I find it too. Like, like I was saying before, tradition, there's something in tradition that's very important. And it's very grounding. But also, it's important to have that questioning mm-hmm. and that renewal with right. tradition. Otherwise, kind of like you have to learn the rules before you can break the yeah, rules. You definitely. have to have some kind of structure and you foundation, do. and then. But you have to have the, the questioning. Otherwise, mm-hmm. it it becomes there's a sinister right. element to it, and it and it it can become dangerous mm-hmm. territory. Legalistic. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's so so interesting. Thanks for giving me some hmm. ideas actually I'm, <laughs> I'm still learning we're still figuring this out <laughs> oh it's definitely an ongoing journey definitely definitely for mm. us as well um with your father's death I found mm. it really moving the way that you wrote about that in the book um particularly when you described how you and your sister drove him up to see the yellow blossoms on the mountain mm-hmm. and I wanted to ask you about thin places. Um, So thin places are known as spaces where the distance between heaven and earth collapses. Because it almost feels like you're saying that, in the book it felt like you were saying that acceptance or like a seeing things as they really are is like a doorway into thin places. Um, Mm. 
And when you quote Julian of Norwich, who I've, I've come across before, writes so beautifully about Christianity, all will be well, which is like the opposite of the message of fear mm-hmm. that you were continually given in the church. And also the Paul McCartney song, Let It Be, there's this sense that surrender is like mm-hmm. the key. Is that is that what you meant? I think so. I mean, for me, um, I mentioned the death of my father. He was in his late 40s, and he was an alcoholic. And I just, in my head at the time, I, I my in my simplistic faith, I just knew that he would see the light and if I could only pray hard enough, mm. if I only have enough faith, then he's going to be healed. It's this transactional nature. Oh, God, God will bless me. God will answer my prayer if I just pray hard enough. Mm. But it didn't happen that way. He only got sicker. He asked us to take him to see the, the yellow daffodils and he kind of fell into a trance. I mentioned the song, Let It Be. Um, it was like Mother Mary was, <laughs> or Mother God, however you look at it. And now, now that I'm a mother, I see it this way. I can't, I can't speak to how death felt like to him, but it appeared as though he had a supernatural peace and that he was able to see everything he was able to see the thin places, as 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 I mentioned, the the Daffodil Mountain. The thin places are, are already there. It's just, do we have eyes to see them? Mm. And so his death, nothing about it, nothing about that circumstance was how I imagined it would play out. Mm. But yet there was so much mercy, and that feeling that I got and. In the aftermath of that, you know, I had a, I had a dream that sort of a, myst- a mystical experience surrounding his death. It was the it was sort of the same feeling that I got in, in the mosque that day in Syria, that how I imagine things are and then how they actually are, are two different things. Mm. And that in, any place can be a thin place, any moment can be a thin moment. It's just adjusting our eyes and heart to see it for what it is yeah oh gosh that makes me think of I was listening to I don't know if you've heard of John O'Donoghue Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I listened to a fantastic interview with him I'll I'll, um, I'll share it with you and before he died and he was talking about that very thing he actually said that everyone is an artist because they create their experience of life. So everyone is creating all the time Mm -hmm. and every single human's experience is different because of how they see the world and how they create the world. And it's like, there's always this, and I I know exactly what you're talking about. It's like, there's always, it's there. Like if you can actually really see it and surrender to it, the Mm -hmm. truth and the beauty is there. Mm -hmm. But it's like, we're so often caught up in busy lives and stress and worry and rushing and, that we can't see it mm-hmm. or we're caught up with those those heavy things um and yeah I, I think what's really beautiful about your your father's death and I've found this in other descriptions of death as well is there's often there's this sense that the person who's dying they move into that awareness that suddenly they see things mm-hmm. as they are um, and they and they just let go and they mm. and they're surrendering and um, yeah I really got that from from your description mm-hmm. too. Did your father's death really impact on your relationship with spirituality and religion? Was it like a, a turning point for you? Yeah, I think it was. Um, it made more sense when I became a mother. And I thought, isn't it just like a mother to snatch the kid up in her arms that can't get it together? And sometimes we dole out more compassion for the kid that's having issues. Mm. And I feel like my dad felt that on his deathbed. He felt love and compassion and mercy. Mm. And that was all that was left. And that was it. Mm. And so at that time... 
in my faith journey, I had, I still had so much fear and shame from the theology that I was handed. And that was sort of the beginning of, of chipping away of maybe God is not how I think he is or she is. <laughs> maybe, maybe I'm wrong about some things. It was probably the first moment, um, well, when I prayed so hard for something and I didn't get it, but yet the mercy that was there and what I witnessed and what our family witnessed, um, it definitely opened the door to see God in a different light. Mm. And and over the years, I'm just reading reading the way that the mystics write about God. There's always... There's so many parallels between the Christian mystics and the Muslim mystics mm. and the Buddhist mystics, and they all say something like, our holy books say that God is like this. God is full of wrath, but we know God is like this. It's sort of like they get a taste of what, of the love and mercy of, of God, and they know that it's different than what some of their holy books say. Mm. And so for me, yeah, the, the actual experience was different than what, than what I was taught to believe or a way of interpreting, interpreting scripture that I just don't believe to be true anymore. And I suppose that's the ultimate thing. It's this thing of interpretation. I mean, the Bible is an ancient book of stories, mm-hmm. but, you know, there have been so many ancient texts and mm-hmm. really... The key is how you read it. Um, right. It has so many layers, so mm-hmm. many layers to it. And I think that, again, the dangerous thing, I think, that you experienced in the Baptist church is this sense, well, there's only this interpretation. You know, we mm-hmm. will only read it in this particular way. Right. And I'm the funnel through which, you know, mm-hmm. the truth comes. Whereas... The book is there. I mean, the stories are rich and mm-hmm. multi-layered and so much, you know, profound mm-hmm. beauty and love and truth in them. But when they're, they're read in a particular way, they, yeah, they can be right. spun. It sucks, the, it sucks the life and joy out of it mm. to read it as legalistically every word in here is from the hand of God rather than seeing it as a library Mm. seeing it as literature Mm. that is inspired Mm. I mean for me it there's 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 joy again I mean I can actually read the Bible again now and not feel triggered because for a long time I just felt triggered by the way that certain verses were interpreted and now being able to hold it lightly and just see see the poetry for what it is and see the literature for what it is and not take every every single word literally and I think most people whether they admit it or not it's the things that we take literally that matters right like some of the same people that won't literally think that Jesus means love your enemies or sell your possessions and give them to the poor. They won't take those parts literally, no. but yeah, Why is they'll that? use certain <laughs> verses to beat people over the head mm. as a means of control mm. and violence. Mm. And, you know, we can look at history and see that the Bible has been used to justify mm. countless atrocities mm. on this continent that we're on right now in particular. Mm. We've been doing some research about that. Um, and the Bible has been used as a weapon rather than a sacred collection, a sacred library with um, that points to love and points to mercy. And so that's that's how I read Scripture now, and that's how we treat it with our, you know, in our family and talking about it with our kids. I'm really interested in the way you refer to mercy. What do you mean by mercy but to know your what you mean by that Mm. the way that I see mercy is just sort of the it's the undercurrent of it it is the 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 life force that's under everything every and maybe you refer to it as as tenderness Mm. um that's a really good question I just wrote a whole book on mercy (laughs) I'm trying to come up with a decent answer here um for me, it's, it's 
being surprised by the way you thought something was and then it turns out to be something else. To me, that's mercy. Mm. That's like mercy. A, like it's a it, deep truth. That, ev- that everything is okay. Like the mm. Julian of Norwich quote that you mentioned, everything all shall okay. be well and, yeah. and every manner of things shall be well. It's it's all okay. Yeah. It's all mercy. Yeah. I mean, we're we're our biggest critics, are we not? We oh. go through our day. We wake up in the middle of the night. We're thinking about that thing that we forgot, or that person we forgot to email back, so or true. just all the things that pile on. Mm. But it just always comes back to that thing of, you know, I must be a bad person. Mm-hmm. And actually, if you can keep going back to that other wisdom, which is like underneath it all I'm good like mm-hmm. I'm really mm-hmm. deeply as we all are in mm-hmm. our core as as babies just yes. pure goodness that's the truth mm-hmm. of who mm-hmm. we are but we get it gets covered over and yeah self-compassion I think is like mm-hmm. something else I'm, I'm really interested in and it's it's so hard like why is it so unnatural for us mm-hmm. to say it's okay yeah everything is okay and all will be well mm-hmm. that feels like alien you know it it definitely did Mm. especially if you're brought up in a religion that tells you that what is at your core is evil Mm. and Mm. not good and Mm. that tells you that you can't trust your own voice you can't trust your own intuition um it becomes confusing i think for some of your listeners they may think oh well isn't that obvious but for a lot of us it's not obvious no we're traumatized mm. by this idea mm. that we are inherently bad mm. and mm. that we are, that God can't look at us because of our sin. And I was always told this line, God can't look at you because of your sin. And I'm thinking, well, if God is everywhere and within everything, like how can, how can God separate it's God so confusing. from us? It's confusing, right? Oh. But if the starting place is you are inherently good, God's creation is good. God made Mm. creation and called it good. Mm. The very first chapter of the Bible, Mm. if that's where we start, then it changes everything. It changes how we see ourselves. It changes how we see other people. It changes how we, how countries treat one another. It changes everything. 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 One thing changes everything. Yeah. So, so ultimately you've got fear Mm-hmm. And then you've got love. So, like, love is the truth that's at the heart mm-hmm. of the, these stories, these ancient stories in the Bible. And then fear is kind of what was put on top mm-hmm. of all of it, or it's kind of wrapped around all of it. And it's mm-hmm. like this funnel through, I don't know why, some <laughs> sense of wanting to control. But you have these two polarities and they're they're opposite but mm-hmm. coming from that that place of love is yeah that it brings ease and lightness and 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 trust mm-hmm. and then you can live I, I suppose fully and you can have this sense of surrender connection mm-hmm. it sounds as though definitely that you found that through your traveling around the world um i wanted to ask about when you moved to istanbul um and you're training for a new job you find yourself at uh, hajia and hajia sophia and you watch a muslim man praying mm-hmm. can you talk about what did you feel that mm-hmm. day it was the first time that I saw someone in another faith pray. And so I wanted to know, God, do you hear his prayers? Do you hear his prayers? He's not a Christian, but do you, you know, it, it, it's, it's funny saying it now. Again, it could be obvious for some people. Of course God hears his prayers. But for me at the time, um, I wanted to know. I wanted to know. It was, again, it was an open door that chipped away at, at my notion of, of how we interact with God. And then later on that day, I, I sort of got lost in the bazaar. And that was sort of the beginning of, it's okay to wander just for the sake of wondering. Hmm. We, don't, we don't have to know where this is going. Mm. We don't have to have all the answers. So it's okay to enjoy right. life. Like it's right. okay to just think, this is interesting just Mm -hmm. because it's interesting without 
feeling bad mm -hmm. somehow. Right. Or, even pleasure. I think pleasure. we're sort of taught that like pleasure is yeah. is bad and we should deny ourselves pleasure rather than just enjoying ple pleasure for the sake of pleasure. Yeah. Even that. Even that's holy. Even that's good. That, pleasure. Yeah. yeah. One of the things that you repeatedly cover um, is your journey through this earth. Uh, your journey with God, with your faith. And it it's something that so many of us struggle with, sort of constantly trying to seek answers. What do you think was so unique about this combination of traveling and your connection with God? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, finding God in all the places where God wasn't supposed to be. That was huge for me experiencing profound love and hospitality in Damascus, Syria, that was supposed to be our enemy of the United States, and just that subversive nature of being loved and cared for by people that are in another tribe, religiously, culturally. Um, that really turned things upside down for me because... I was taught <laughs> early on that uh, about the fruits of the spirit and only Christians have these things. And then when you see other people that are crushing it, <laughs> that makes you uncomfortable, right? There's this cognitive, cognitive dissonance that happens. And that's what I experienced um, in a lot of places. And just seeing so much light and love in places that were so foreign to foreign to me um, yeah that kind of put me on the fast track of deconstructing everything mm, and it sounds like you're unraveling the stories mm -hmm. you know you've been handed these narratives about this is the truth about the way things are and this is the truth about who we are mm -hmm. and who they are mm -hmm. the other and there's, you know, good and there's bad. And then you you start to realize that actually it's much more mm -hmm. complex than that. Right. And um, seeing the similarities, too, between mm, our cultures. Mm. Um, I mentioned uh, Gulf Arabs, for example. They reminded me so much culturally of people back home. And so in, like, the hospitality and... The drive-through liquor stores, not wanting to be recognized, the warmth. I mean, the the best parts of the culture that I came from in some ways, I, I could see that in this other group. And it, I knew that these two groups of people were distrusting of each other and that would imagine they didn't have anything in common, but yet I saw so many similarities. Mm. Yeah, so it sounds like you're talking about I've mentioned it already but this Buddhist notion of common humanity mm -hmm. so as in we're all one we're all connected and in Jordan there's a part in the book where you say I saw the light of humanity as beautiful and multifaceted dancing and refracting in all directions as every colour we see is a different wavelength of light reflected back to our eyes so the different colors of our lights make up pieces of the one light born out of love so is that mm -hmm. is that what you are referring to mm -hmm. absolutely thanks for reading that i'm like wow did i write that <laughs> i remember that quote <laughs> that's precisely that's how i see it <laughs> yeah i mean it's almost as though i don't know i wonder if there's anything as um effective as traveling to really kind of uh, reveal these truths mm -hmm. that people are people mm -hmm. you know that people have the same aspirations actually mm -hmm. I, I did hear recently there was a study that you know amazingly across all the continents and all the different you know um you know people's levels of wealth and everyone ultimately has the same aspirations for their children and we all have the same 
struggles mm-hmm. and and uh, traveling and meeting people is like mm-hmm. it's a it's I don't know I think it's probably the best way of really mm-hmm. understanding that truth for yourself I think so there's nothing better than you know for a young a young person we were just talking about you know before we started this interview your experience teaching English in Japan and I I I hope that our children have an opportunity to travel before mm. they settle down. And I know for a lot of people, they don't have that, that privilege or maybe their passport doesn't get them in all the places where we got to go. So there's that element. Um, but even going to a different side of town or a different state or um, taking the time to wander somewhere else. Um, this was one of the things I did early on in the pandemic, um, when we couldn't travel, I would just go to these little towns in Virginia alone sometimes mm-hmm. and just wander through old graveyards or streets that didn't belong to me, new places mm. that um, I just needed to have that time to wander mm. and sort of like let the thin places find you rather than seeking them out. Um, I think that does a lot of good. For people's soul and spirit when they're stuck in a rut or you know maybe they have an awareness they want to be more open more accepting more loving um, but they don't have the means to fly to the other side of the world and um, there are other ways mm. to rather than just you don't jet setting nec- everywhere yeah absolutely you don't necessarily have to it's more about a way of seeing mm-hmm. what you're talking about is a way of fully seeing things it could just be yeah people who are living in the next town but to actually fully see mm-hmm. people is is something I think that we often struggle with so many of us struggle with mm-hmm. to fully imagine someone else's feeling someone else's life um, someone else's experience and um, sometimes it's easier to do that when you're traveling and it's so different sometimes it's mm-hmm. harder when it's someone who's similar to you right um, but the opportunity like you said it's always there yeah it's important to remember that I think um, in the book when you go to Jerusalem that was really interesting so, you know, obviously Jerusalem is, you know, the hub of all things faith and you describe having big expectations to encounter the spirit of God in the footsteps of Jesus. But instead, you, you know, you find yourself exhausted, claustrophobic, underwhelmed. And I think it's that thing again of, of like, where, where do we find God? Like, why does God have to be found mm-hmm. in these designated holy places mm-hmm. um, again um, when I was listening to John O'Donoghue he was talking about how God is beauty and I thought that was such an mm. interesting way of putting it, or such an interesting concept, um, God is beauty within people, in nature in the landscape, everywhere and the root of the word beauty is actually calling, which I thought was mm. really fascinating. So that kind of ties into this sense of 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 wondering or or feeling compelled to see something, mm. to look for something. Um, I don't know if you could say just something a bit about that, about these you know these holy places sure. that you went to, yes. and how you know sometimes you had experiences that were very profound, and sometimes you didn't. I think it's important to distinguish, um, for me, the difference between a pilgrimage and a peregrination. So I went to Jerusalem sort of on a pilgrimage. I'm going to go to the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, the the site of uh, Jesus' crucifixion and burial. but it became claustrophobic and I didn't feel any, anything at all and it was disappointing and underwhelming and I think a lot of people that go on pilgrimages that's sort of what they experience because the stakes are so high and they have all these expectations for how it's supposed to feel and it rarely delivers um, whereas a peregrination um, you've mentioned 
John O'Donohue, and I'm a big fan of his work as well. Um, There's this concept in Celtic spirituality of peregrination, where you are in search of the place of your own resurrection, usually a journey. And so the difference is that you are, you're going out with no, with no expectations. Maybe you're moving to a new place. Maybe you're moving to a new town. Maybe you're on, maybe you're on a vacation. Maybe you've just completely ran away. That's a true peregrination is when you, there's, it's a one-way ticket. You're not coming back. And I think it's in those moments that we have our greatest growth spiritually when the thin places sort of find us Mm. yeah I was really fascinated by that term that you used in the book peregrination and so it's linked to the peregrine falcon Mm -hmm. and I love that you you've decided that's what your journey was Mm -hmm. and how it's it's distinct and it and it's different in that way um but this this sense of it you said it was to do with your resurrection or it was the place where you mm-hmm. find a resurrection is that mm-hmm. is that how you would describe the journey in the book as though you came back to the true sense of who you are i think so i mean when i initially ran away from home it was an escape from a divorce and a shaming, you know, I was kicked out of church and in a small town and just that paralyzing sense of shame. It's hard to go to the grocery store and run into certain people. It's, you know, there's just that constant dark cloud. And so I, for me, it had to be a geographical change. It ha- I had to leave the place that I loved so much and that was home for me I had I had to go somewhere else and so the place of my resurrection was many places it was you know it was a journey around the world but coming home to myself at the same time Mm. and coming home to this truth that I am I am good I am innately good Mm. and that there's nothing I have to do to prove myself anymore there's nothing you have to do yeah it just is we all are we all are yeah and I think early on in the book you mentioned something about there are pieces of yourself Mm -hmm. all over scattered scattered Mm -hmm. and I love that idea that you were already somehow there Mm -hmm. and then you went and you found Mm -hmm. that part of you or you reconnected um so the resurrection was in the almost like in the rediscovering or that coming back to Mm -hmm. that that truth yeah it's really really beautiful and when you're in Thailand you describe how you struggle to find your fitting the right church this place of belonging what was the most surprising lesson that you learned there in Thailand what did Mm. you it's the most surprising thing. Um, I had a, a relationship with a, a group of Somali refugees that really was sort of the last um, <laughs> turning my world upside down. I think at that point in my faith journey, I really tried to double down on some things. And I've, I've seen this pattern before. When people are about to have a breakthrough, they like right before they try to double down and like stick with what they think think they know and then and then there's just sort of this letting go uh-huh. and then things re- resolve and, and so for me that was the experience I had I initially thought you know I can be a good influence if I'm, if I'm really honest here I can I can help these refugees and I can you know there's a sense of pride of, of what you're capable of doing and then in the end they sort of like turn my world upside down they (laughs) taught you they taught me it's like I I'm not converting them they're converting me Mm. um so my relationship with them and and really the the love and care that I received from them I think to be cared for and nurtured by someone 
in a marginalized community. Mm. It's the most subversive thing ever. I mean, we think that, oh, it's our job to help them, but to receive their love in return and their friendship and preserve that dignity that's there and that, that light that's burning in all of us. As you mentioned before, we're, we're all, we all want the same things. We're all figuring stuff out. And so definitely my, my relationship with the Somali refugee community changed the way that I saw God and still does. I still think about it <laughs> from time to time and think about the faith that they have and the love and compassion and tenacity and the best things of the human spirit and they embody all of it. People that have been through absolute hell and still have that uh, that spirit with them. I have no words left. <laughs> That's so beautiful, thank you. Your book is, you know, as I, I mentioned at the beginning, has this strong current of curiosity running through it. Mm-hmm. But there's so many other things in it too. And there's this question I always ask at the end of the interview, because the idea behind the tenderness revolution is that having this quality of tenderness for ourselves and others, or mercy, is embodied in the three C's. So it's embodied in them because they enable us to fully see the truth about the way things are. And they are courage, curiosity, and compassion. So Mm. I wanted to ask you, if you had to choose one of these qualities that means the most in your life, which would you choose Mm. and why? Good question. Um, I'm going to say curiosity. (laughs) (laughs) I would like to pretend to be more compassionate, but I still have some work in that department. Um, Curiosity, the whole experience of writing this book for example, was and just learning how the creative process works and you know everybody listening right now, I, I I can imagine that there is something, there is some kind of itch that's pulling them in a direction. And I think this is spirit. I think this is we are co creators with the master creator of the universe. Mm-hmm. And and this spirit pulls all of us to create things, to make things, to try new things, to learn new things. And it is always scary and there's always risk, whatever it is. We make up excuses. Oh, I can't do that. Oh, I don't want to do that. But it persists and it's there. And so having just gone through this experience of writing this book, and now there's another creative itch that's, that's pulling me in a different direction, but we all have those. And I think we develop muscle memory over time of how to listen to them and how to nurture it and see it as a friend rather than this deep, dark, scary thing that... <laughs> might make us go off the deep end, right? What are people going to think? What? How, how am I going to pull this off? And I think that the spirit that's behind that, that causes us to create things, that is that is the love and mercy and tenderness that really makes the world go round, that, 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 that causes healing, or to use a biblical word, shalom. Mm. If we are all listening to that, that curious itch that's pulling us in a certain direction, then... Imagine, mm. imagine how the world could be. Mm. Need to preach that to myself. <laughs> Sermon for today. <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> Thank you so much for speaking with me today. It's been a true, true pleasure. Thank really you. enjoyed it. Thank you so much. It was my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Tenderness Revolution. I hope you come back for more because my aim with this podcast is to help us become more aware of these moments of kindness and compassion and how they shape our lives and enable us to feel more connected to the world around us.
you for listening to this episode of The Tenderness Revolution. I hope you come back for more because my aim with this podcast is to help us become more aware of these moments of kindness and compassion and how they shape our lives and enable us to feel more connected to the world around us.